0: I don't, I don't know who's in charge in here, but I think we should uh, try to get started here shortly, if you wouldn't mind. This panel has a lot of great things to say. We don't know what we're going to say yet, but it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, I want to thank Naop for uh, having me with these amazing, uh, talented individuals um, coming from some, some amazing firms. Um, this obviously industrial is something that we all talk about every day of our lives, right? So I have questions, but I think that we're mostly we're just gonna talk some shop because that's what we do every day, um, and try to figure out really where is industrial going in Utah, right? And there's so many factors, it's so complex, um, but really at the end of the day we want to hit some of the hot topics that we're all talking about um, every day. Also, uh, please if you have questions, I have this awesome iPad here. Um, you can scan the QR code and submit questions as well that are are, are top of your mind. Um, I was told also this will be recorded for a podcast of some sort, I guess, an AAP podcast. So if you if you're worried that you're not going to hear some of the other uh, panels, um, first of all, you're at the best one anyway. Um, but you can listen to them later, so it's all good. So with that, I guess we just get started, huh? Um, we'll start with some introductions. I'm Braden Moore with Big D Construction, um, moderating this great panel today.
1: Good afternoon, I think is where we're at at this point in time of the day. I'm Angela Eldridge with Price Real Estate. I'm COO there, primarily um, in charge of property management, um, legal, leasing, business development. Um, Those are kind of the things that I do underneath my umbrella on the daily basis. For NAOP, I serve on the national board um, currently is my position, but also I've been here involved locally with the local chapter for 10 years and served at different capacities on the board. So happy to have you all here and continuing to support NAOP.
2: I'm Ryan Simmons with the Boyer Company as a partner project manager. Uh, I source good sites, try
3: and build good buildings, and work with great people. So thanks for having me. I'm Ben Richardson, uh, industrial broker at Newmark. Closer. Thanks, Andy. CBRE is always picking me up one way or another. (laughs) Um, So Ben Richardson, uh, I'm an industrial broker at Newmark, Uh, all things industrial from land acquisition, leasing, and uh, disposition of assets if the timing's right.
4: My name is Andy Blunt. I'm a, an industrial broker with CBRE. Um, been in the market here for, gosh, 17 years um, and worked under some really great people. So hopefully I don't embarrass them today.
0: Awesome. So I have one really pressing question. It's been on my mind for a little bit now. Um, and this is for Ben. With the market changing in the last six months so rapidly, do you see a correlation between your golf
3: game and the market, and is it better or worse? Um, th- the nice thing about my golf game is it's always better than yours, and no matter how bad the market gets, you'll always be a primary source of secondary income, Braden. So I appreciate the question, um, I, I and I appreciate the uh, money last weekend; it was well spent.
0: Um, so getting into it, I think you know, really at the end of the day, all of us are are wondering what what's going on in industrial, right? And so. Um, every day we're talking about, um, going right to, to the, the biggest thing on, on, I think most people's minds is how do we get this funded, right? How do we get this deal off the ground? So what does that look like for, for each of you right now, as far as, you know, interest rates have gone up, right? The cap rates have gone up. Um, what, what are your key indicators in and really getting a deal funded and what do you look for to get that done? Start with Angela.
1: Um, So at price, most of you know, we're a little bit different. We're privately held and we're a family owned company. Um, So we build a little bit different. We don't have general partners. We are our partner. We don't take on um, equity side debt. So we are able to build um, and then finance out of it when we get to stabilization, which obviously is a concern at this point just because of where we're at in that financing cycle. So right now, at least for us, we're kind of on a hold just like I think everybody else waiting we have a couple projects permit ready and i think it's just we have cash ready on hand when the opportunity strikes again when we can kind of see a little bit of that stabilization
2: yeah i think i'd follow up on that with not can we get this funded but should we get this funded is what you're saying and that's kind of a nice return to the historical market rather than just the typical merchant build we can get it funded and we can flip it for a four cap so we're we're kind of returning to the basics the fundamentals, is there good credit behind the lease? If so, then we should go get it funded.
3: I agree with all of that. I think what we have, as brokers have seen is more of your institutional and your capital kind of leaving the market and fleeing to more coastal markets or not being able to fund and do deals. where I think it provides the opportunity for family offices or uh, developers that are looking at acquiring land positions. We are seeing a little bit of retrenching in land prices right now today, um, which allows opportunity, I think, um, to acquire a, a valuable piece of ground as we're supply constrained in land, as everyone knows, most of the land has is either under developer control or are not available for purchase. So it should provide opportunity inside the Utah market now to acquire some critical land positions.
4: I agree with everything that, that that's just been said. Um, I, I suppose the one maybe wrinkle I'll add is um, we're, we're currently currently looking for opportunities for our clients is um, perhaps with landowners that are are, are willing and interested in uh, be, be becoming a partner, an equity partner in the project themselves, uh, underwriting the value of the land um, at a number that's reasonable enough to make uh, the project pencil, allow funding to be a little bit more uh, doable. Um, it also helps that landowner um, avoid ten thirty one issues. Um, so it's getting a little creative uh, for a lot of the reasons they were all talking about. Capital uh, is obviously more expensive than it was. Finding the land in general is, is, is challenging. So, uh, but that also lends itself to the more, you know, build and hold long-term hold play. Yeah. Uh, Cause you got a, you know, probably a local family who uh, owns the land and they're, they're not going to want to uh, let go of the asset. So just a little addition to everything you guys just said.
0: Are on that same vein? Are you seeing um, that? I guess first, are are you still? What's the tenant demand? Right, really got back to the tenant. So, are you seeing since you know six months ago when the demand was nearly more than we could all handle? Right, um, in all parts of development, is the tenant demand still there? What is that looking
3: like versus six months ago? Um, we'll start with Ben. I think the. The fundamentals of occupiers of space are still there in our market. Um, tenant demand, as always, is is slow in every Q4, every December, it's slow, but we've seen a lot of activity since the start of the new year. Um, with nine-ish million square feet delivered this year, there's six-ish million square feet of that committed or in negotiation for now, which will leave us in a position where we're supply constrained for product. Um, As we just talked, there's not a lot of new product coming to the market due to the imbalance of interest rates, construction costs, land pricing is having developers slow down and not be able to justify or, as Ryan said, should we build this conversation? So but as far as occupiers of space, we're still seeing a lot of good market activity. Um, And I think as the gap widens in the kind of recessionary times that we're heading into, you will see companies looking and dwell times of inventory become less important where you're cycling inventory daily and it's going to sit on shelves. I think the Utah market will hold well and you'll see companies migrating more to um, a, an inland market with a little, expense, a little less expensive cost in the real estate occupancy.
0: Anything to add there? Andy, what are you seeing on the tenant demand side that may be different than six months ago, or is it still pretty high
4: demand? No, I I, I agree with what Ben's saying. I mean, the the numbers he just mentioned—90 million square feet of uh, space under construction. I mean, that it sounds may sound like a lot, but that's actually a two-year low. Um, you know, the market in 2022 delivered 9.4 million square feet, um, but you got to keep in mind the 9 million square feet that's under construction now. Um, by my math, which may we're not may or may not be totally exact. Um, not a math major, but it's only about uh, seven point nine of it meant to deliver in twenty twenty three. Um, and I was looking at year to date numbers. Uh, deals over fifty thousand square feet. Um, I I added up about one point eight million square feet of new leasing completed to date. Um, so that does not include renewals. If you add renewals, it's even higher. But so very quickly, we're going to burn through whatever product is is delivering now and what's going to deliver this year. Um, The challenge, of course, is what we just talked about, the cost of materials, uh, construction, land, and capital. Not a lot of developers are are going ahead. They have the land, they've got the projects planned, they're pushing pause. um, Because even though we did see uh, an increase in lease rates, particularly from 2021 to 2022, it's not enough to justify pulling the trigger on a new half million square foot building today. So I think absolutely once once capital markets shake out um, and we are starting to see some materials costs come down, we're gonna find ourselves, I mean, currently we're at 1.9% interest, uh, sorry, uh, vacancy. That's almost a full two points below where it really should be. And we're gonna be right back there or lower. So if you, it's gonna be a timing question, right? You know, at what point do you pull the trigger on your planned buildings? Um, but to answer the question, I suppose uh, no. There's plenty of demand going forward. Uh, you know, people are trying to be smart, they're perhaps trying to make deals that are going to be a bit longer term because they're trying to lock terms in now uh, that are going to hold for you know five years. You know, not a lot of tenants I'm seeing are really concerned about a three-year term unless they've got some massive growth on the horizon or something like that. But the demand is there. It's just the the cost of construction right now um, is going to make the supply chain a little tricky. Yeah, I'd add to that. <clears throat> every time I talk to my broker
2: friends here, I want to build new buildings, right? There's always more tenants <laughs> somehow.
4: We got to keep ourselves paid.
2: <laughs> and I mean that respectfully, because that's what you're out doing. You're doing a great job of generating those leads. Every time we talk to our banker friends, maybe it's, hey, hold off. Uh, I don't know. Uh, every time we talk to other owners and businesses, probably more importantly, Um, there's a mixed review. Some of these businesses aren't going to make it through this next cycle, and we're going to watch them closely. Some of them are. The the structural changes that continue to happen in the economy are, we can watch those with the different businesses in our portfolio uh, that we're having conversations with, and that's kind of one of the advantages to being a long-term owner rather than a short-term owner is having those conversations.
1: One last thing that I would maybe add, um, mostly just because I'm super proud of this, but we have about 4.5 million feet of product we don't have one industrial vacancy currently. So I think that that speaks to the demand. I think it speaks to the team and the renewal rate that we have. But we delivered two new buildings this year. We filled them. Um, we've had some turnover with renewals and expansions, and we've been able to keep them full and, and basically retenant them. Um, but we're doing the same thing. We're watching tenants to see if they get caught in this cycle or if there's something that they did with the debt cliff during this period of time. But I think that that speaks to the you know barely 2% vacancy rate that there will be continue to be demand.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, thinking exactly about that, Angela, and that that park you just finished there in Draper, um, obviously that's great for tenants because you have a very uh, high educated labor force there, right, so I'm sure tenants love that. Um, is there concern, We I think you hit on it, Ben, where we're running out of land in Salt Lake, right? That's another hot topic that we all talk about. We're running out of land in Salt Lake. Um, it's been pushing to Utah County that draper park's awesome because of that or is, what are the pockets that you're seeing that you're looking at saying this is the next wave whatever the fina- financial markets do we know that this you know we're not going to ever stop building in- industrial buildings where where are you looking at for your next your next project your next place to go
1: i mean for me that's an easy answer just because we have a 40 acre site in american fork that will be the next one that we'll develop and just really kind of keeping a pulse on the market um where the growth is happening where the community is growing and what that demand going to be primarily on major transportation corridors right i-15 um close to the airport close to you know different transportation corridors, we'll look along there but we definitely have to I think that most all the land and kind of call it that Northwest quadrant is really kind of spoken for. So we have to get creative.
2: For us, uh, we believe in I-15, you know, Um, we've got great sites in Springville, Spanish Fork, Ogden, Pleasant View. Um, We like West Jordan a lot where the the employment base is already built in. Uh, There's skilled labor there. There's also an international presence, kind of a, a, conglomerate of tenants out there that like to co locate it seems Uh, data centers work well out there. And then Grantsville Grantsville is kind of that other untapped market within um, our major market that has 17 minutes from the airport. And so those those are the markets we're looking in right now
3: and building I think to to add to that, as you're dealing with national site selectors or companies coming in, there's three major components, I think, that they're looking at. And depending on the type of use, the, the number one and two, which can be flip-flopped, if you're a manufacturer, you're looking at skilled or semi-skilled labor as one, and then two, your freight. Three will be your real estate occupancy costs. And if you're more of a 3PL or distribution model, you're going to look at your freight hurt will be probably your number one then your labor and your skilled and then real estate occupancy. So I believe I-15 centric developments are always going to do well um, in our markets, whether it's North or South. Um, Utah County has always kind of dominated nutraceutical type manufacturers, lotions, potions, and powders um, in that market of some sense. Um, All your favorite things? (laughs) Not again, Braden. not again. We're in public, okay? Um, So I, uh, I think that that it, it will still be a driving force. I think your Northern tenancy, if you're more of an I-80 thesis, you'll be looking at Grantsville or North I-15. If you're more of a South Pound or inbound freight coming out of the ports in California, you probably will be more likely to look at that South Utah County, Central Utah County location. So when you look at like how a site selector or a company is going to look at it, I think labor is an important component to this conversation and freight and And you can flip-flop those as one and two in talking about what the occupiers are looking at. Um, Employment is becoming less constrained, but still constrained. We do have um, very low uh, unemployment, which is good in some studies and and hurtful in others because we do, we could use more people in the workforce. The nice thing is in, in Utah, historically... We have more workers aging into the workforce than aging out. We have a young workforce, so that's always a positive attraction, too, especially when you're looking at your tertiary markets. So getting
0: into kind of the, the you know, how that complexity is made into a project, right, of um, and let's start with lease rates, right? Le- obviously, when you're looking to get a project to pencil, right, you have construction costs, you have the land costs, which have gone a little bit crazy, right? Um, so is, are the lease rates keeping up with the costs as of now today, right? This is always changing, but are the lease rates keeping up with the costs that you're putting into, into the project? Um, and where do you see those going? Is it, it, do they need to increase and, and by how much that was a loaded question? Sorry. You can take bit, any That of was those a big questions. question. I think Angela <laughs> should
2: take that one. That was like five questions. Le- lease rates. The the question is, are they gonna sustain and maintain the level necessary, right? Like they spiked, businesses needed to grow, they had a whole bunch of cheap debt, and so they were going to grow regardless of occupancy costs. Now the question is, their debt is now expensive, so do occupancy costs stabilize, level off? Um, if you talk to Andy and Ben about the supply of product, then they probably level off or increase, but I'm interested in your answers.
4: Well, I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be sitting here with you all. I'd be, be on a beach somewhere. But be I can tell you what they've been doing um, you know, lately. Uh, from 2021 to 2022, um, on the market average, we saw about a 20% increase in achieved lease rate. I mean, it's unprecedented, right? But that wasn't specific to Utah. That was kind of all over. And um, you know, we get on the, the national calls and you'd hear that kind of everywhere. Um, I think since probably. Um, and this is anecdotal, but, uh, probably since the fall, uh, I've seen them kind of level off. Um, you know, a lot of you in the, in the, in the, in the audience are landlords or brokers, and you knew that every month you'd see a two, two cent per square foot, uh, per month increase on the asking rate. And then, then everybody just stopped publishing rates because they didn't want to leave money on the table. And I think those days are, are behind us, uh, at least for now. Um, but I think the good news is we're not, I haven't seen them fall. Um, you know, we're seeing a little bit of, of concessions coming back. Uh, ben and I spoke about this. So at the risk of stealing his line, um, not concessions that are really affecting um, NOI, uh, but, but things like free rent starting to come back into play. Um, and I think as long as those stay stable, by and large, the market will be just fine until capital markets figures out what they're doing. Uh, that's a big question mark. How long does that take? What does it look like? But, um, yeah, for now, I think it feels stable, um, and I don't, in at least in the next six months, don't see any huge increases in, in, in achieved lease rates. Um, one comment on annual um, increases on the base rate, um, historically, 15 years running, it was 3%, and that's just kind of what it was. Um, you start seeing everybody push up to 4%, um, and I don't see most landlords backing off that, particularly if they're new owners or new developers. Um, that increase is, is proving to be pretty key uh, in, in both keeping up with inflation, but also, um, you know, kind of producing the yields that they're probably under road too.
0: Okay. So we have some good questions coming in as well. Uh, I'll steal some of those real quick. Um, if you had a hundred acres here in Salt Lake County for industrial ground up development, what would you put there? A hundred acres. Yeah. What's ideal. I mean, is it, are we, and I think where the question's going is, Big box was there for a while, right? And now we're looking at—we've changed that kind of dynamic of, or that plan of, does it two hundred thousand feet? 000, is it a hundred thousand feet? Like, what what is that best
3: layout for hundred acres? What does that demand to look like? Assuming it's a perfect rectangular and right along <laughs> I I fifteen, build a large box building. Um, I think the question is—is is the why and. It, is it right to develop um, industrial ground right now or, or what would we develop? Um, the most supply constrained market, I think across the board is the small flex product, but that's not usually a desirable design or build. So I think you would have to identify the why to the product. Is it a labor driven site? Is it a freight driven site? Um, what is the why first before you develop it? It, it, it could be a multitude of product. In the market right now, we have more big box space on the market, but like we talked earlier, most of that space is gonna be absorbed quickly. But at any increment, 200,000 square foot buildings is an easy go-to layup answer. But I think you would really wanna identify what is driving the site and what forces are driving the site for the user base, solve to that, and and then build, of course, a you know, a modern kind of -of state-of-the-art IBC type industrial building. Just, I'd love to hear what either of you have to say.
1: I would just tend to agree with Ben. Um, our biggest thing is it's going to determine, that would help us determine what we need is kind of where we have a little bit of a weak spot in that size increment at that given point in time, right? Depending on where we have leases turning, um, what's next to it, like where's our next, like maybe we have a bigger building that we could grow a smaller tenant into. So site and location and I think also the kind of tenant that would be in that area would also help drive the decision but overall we're going to try to get our land coverage as best as we can so 200s is the safe play.
4: Yeah, just um, a quick little stat because I've been studying for this panel for the past 3 weeks and if I don't use my stats I'm going to be mad at myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh no, this I thought was interesting actually. Uh from 20 over over 2021 and 2022 there was a 3x increase in the total number of lease transactions. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh 250,000 square feet or larger. So um, to everybody's point, we're just seeing a much larger uh, percentage of the deals done be these larger deals. So you know, assuming all the fundamentals that they discussed, uh, yeah, build, build bigger buildings. And just to finish up on that, I think we'll be
2: more selective in who we build for. I mean, in 2018, 2017, we bought some acreage out there in the Northwest quadrant for $3.75. Um, we probably would have been better off not building a building now. Here we are in 2023, that would be a six or seven X. Um, so building for whom is really the question. Yeah.
0: Um, what, what are you seeing in demand from Salt Lake County versus Utah County at this moment in time, right? As far as inquiries, um, is that just, I want to be there or is it where, where can I go? What are you seeing? Utah County versus Salt Lake County in demand?
3: You want me to answer? I'm looking at you. I feel like you're looking at me, but then you're going to tell me I talk too much. Um, I I think inquiries, um, obviously the base in Salt Lake County is so much bigger, but on a per capita basis, you're probably seeing a similar amount of inquiries in both markets. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, Salt Lake has always tended to be a more credit rich environment, um, which landlords are drilling down onto as we're going into kind of an unknown time or period. Um, Utah County for the first time in a long time will have um, not an oversupply, but have enough supply to satisfy the need of the demands out there um, because there are some large projects coming online and some buildings completing. But I think you're seeing activity and I think the Utah County user is Utah County centric based on labor. And that's the, why you see those requests in Utah County is it's really a labor driven market um, in my opinion.
4: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go back, uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years, the only big buildings in Utah County really were the old, uh, what's now called the Western, Western distribution uh, building at the mouth of uh, um, oh, uh, just blanked on the name of the Spanish for Spanish Canyon. Fort Canyon. Thank you. Um, and then you had a lot of a lot of buildings that were built by local guys, a lot of guys that own land because they bought it to put their business on. And they built a little steel, 10,000, 15,000 square foot steel building and had a couple of tenants in it. Uh, what I'm seeing is, and a lot of you guys are in this room uh, already, already down there and active, building properly designed quality product um, so that when guys like Ben and I are in front of a national group, a lot of, in my opinion, the reason they never considered Utah County is because there just weren't options that were on par with what's up here in, in, in Salt Lake County. Um, you know, particularly the groups that come from, uh, if they're just, if it's a distribution use, their, their route comes from Southern California up the I-15, um, you know, if they can cut the corner, if they're trying to head East and they can cut the corner and don't have to come up through Salt Lake, they're happy to do it. So, you know, um, to me, that's, that's one of the big factors is, is, um, just make sure the design is adequate for what, you know, the large users are, are needing so that, so that the product itself is competitive with what's already up here in Salt Lake County.
0: Um, there's a question on here that I, we hadn't talked about before, which so I think is really interesting um, because we talked about everything. Right. <laughs> um, how, how close are we, and you do believe it matters, to get a second significant competitor in the rail service um, here in Utah? kind of like along the Wasatch Front. Is that even a determining factor when you're looking at some of these tenants? Um, and is is it an issue?
1: I don't know that I could speak to that. I, I I know that we have tenants that use rail, but we don't have any rail serve sites. Um, I think more importantly, trying to figure out the port is going to be a bigger game changer, in my opinion, but I don't know that I could speak to the second user.
2: And I can just repeat what I heard Cameron Cook uh, with Boyer say this week that you know, of the 13, 14 million feet up there at Ogden BDO, very few tenants actually end up needing the rail. A bunch will say that they want it and that they'll use it, but then they don't. And so I don't know how else to answer it than that.
0: Okay, um, another question. I, I think about this a lot, so I liked this question ever submitted this, but when, when it comes to, okay, you have a, a piece of property, you know you're, you're going to do a deal, you're putting the team together, the team makes or breaks a deal a lot of times, right? We're talking about from... You're, who you're representing on the real estate side, the construction side, the architecture side. Um, I guess in, in a short answer, what what is, or you can make as long as you want, actually, Ryan. Um, what is that ideal team and where, where do you have the biggest constraints in that team um, when you're getting through a project or the biggest difficulties, I guess? Are you
2: asking this because you're bidding a job right now
0: for yeah. us? So I need to know.
2: <laughs>
0: and what price should I be at? <laughs>
2: We appreciate that. With or without looking sight. Into, <laughs> looking into that right now. So the question is the team, like where, where are the constraints? I mean, it's the supply chain right now. It's the, um, the partners in utilities, our folks at Dominion and Rocky Mountain Power. It's, it's kind of the, the empires onto I don't know how to say that correctly, but but they're working in their own channels, right? Cities are being really helpful right now. We're finding... Contractors are being amazing. I think the brokerage community has pulled together. I'm, I'm really amazed at how well um, CBRE, Cushman, Newmark, all of all of you work together to get the business in business. And so I'm impressed with all of the teams kind of in the supply chain. It's the ones that we don't control in our market that, that we have a little bit of a harder time with.
0: Anything to add there, Angela? The
1: only thing I would add is for us, we just, relationships matter. We pretty much have a pretty solid team that we have moved along from time to time, um, development by development. They know exactly what needs to be delivered. Um, I think we have it pretty nailed down from timing. And so for us, I just think it's the relationship. I think we're also very um, fortunate to have really good consultants in our market. And I think kind of to echo what the the excellence panel just said, is that everybody collaborates very well here. And I think that the biggest, what's made us the most successful is everybody's really solution oriented. And so those are the people that we tend to align with and kind of have those same ethos, but that's really what's moved our projects forward for the past 20 years.
0: Um, and I I know I'm the moderator, but I'm gonna talk for a second, that's cool. Um, Speech. <laughs> same, I mean, we, I mean really it really comes down to relationships, right? At the end of the day, the that speed to market, um, for us, that we've seen the best projects are the ones that we've worked together so many times before on all levels, right? Even to the geotech engineer, to the architect, to the the real estate team, to the developer, um, and, then, and then into our subcontractors and suppliers. And right now, that's more important than ever because our industry, talking construction, is changing so much daily, right? So if we're not talking to our subs and suppliers daily, we don't know where those costs are going and we can't. We can't come to you for to make those decisions that are huge in your performance. So I think that partnership and having those trust, that trust and relationship is huge.
2: Can I also point though, to the brokerage community and their ability to control the narrative and, and make outsiders understand how collaborative our market is. I mean, I think it used to be a, a fight, maybe a negotiation. It, it sure feels like a partnership and that the brokerage community is doing a good job of setting that up right from the very first conversation. So. Credit where credit is due in building
0: that. Um, another question was construction cost. What do you guys see construction costs doing right now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Going down by Friday at 3 p.m.?
0: So I will. He'll answer had,
1: when he gets your bid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> someone did ask that question. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the last month, uh, especially, um, some of the, the, you know, obviously Joyce and Deck has has gone back to almost. Two years ago uh prices that we were buying them for um, roofing is also corrected in a huge way um, so this vertical unlike other verticals multifamily and others uh, where we're not seeing really a cost we're seeing flattening out but not a cost decrease um, this vertical we are uh, we are seeing you know in the, in the last month probably 10 to 15 de- de- percent decrease in cost and that's for a couple of different reasons supply obviously some of those supply constraints have loosened um, but it's also um labor right where we have less demand than we've had we were building a lot of square footage for a long time and I think the subcontractor market and the suppliers are now seeing hey I'm not gonna have that backlog that I had before um, I better get a little more aggressive so the answer is we are seeing probably 10 to 15 percent just in the last couple of months and decrease in this vertical um, so that's good news for everyone now does that ha- my question back to you guys is how does that really help your capital stack and getting the project funded, right? Does that make a significant difference in what you're doing? And was we'll, Angela?
1: <laughs> okay, like I said, we have two um, buildings ready, permit ready. I think that that plays to part of the equation, but I think we want to see. I mean, I'm kind of speaking for Steve here, but I feel like we'll kind of want to see where those debt markets are are trending towards. I think we're willing to take some risk and build, but we also want to know. Th- I mean, we do finance out of that eventually. And so I, I think we want to have a little better pulse on what that might look like before we pull the trigger. But I, I think when the opportunity is there, we're ready.
3: Agreed. Yeah. That's it. Just
2: agree. That's it. I mean, of course, it, it helps to lower <laughs> construction costs because we can get lower lease rates. Gosh, I hope so. It doesn't seem like we've hit the ceiling on lease rates in terms of tenant affordability. It is more of a capital question. And so there is a bit of a waiting game. Um, I do hope to see them decrease even more with less supply. I don't think there are very many construction starts this year in our space and especially in the big box. And so we'd, we'd hope that they'd come down.
0: So we're, we're talking a lot about Salt Lake and Utah counties. We've, we've hit on that a couple of times now. Um, but one of the, I guess you call it emerging market. I mean, uh, Washington County and and St. George area has been booming for a while, especially on the, the residential side and the multifamily side. Um, is that gaining traction in industrial?
4: I'll speak, speak briefly. Cause I'm not myself super active down there right now, but I know that, uh, uh you know, some of the others at CBRE, um, have been really active, uh, planning some, some large box distribution down there. Um, so it's, a, I, I, I think the answer is yes. Um, I'll hand it off to Ben cause I think he's got maybe a little bit more detail.
3: I don't know if I have any more detail than that. I uh, the, the same thing. We are seeing some, I know that Freeport is going forward with a large development in Washington County. There's always been, it's pro, St. George or Washington County's proximity to Las Vegas. Las Vegas has oftentimes stolen the thunder because of the labor markets and the proximity to Southern California so quickly. Um, with the cost of occupancy in Vegas now, I think some of that will trail up to Washington County.
2: And it's probably just they'll follow the labor. If there's no labor, then it'll, it won't grow very well. So that's really
0: more of a submarket to Las Vegas than it is
3: to Utah. Is kind of what you're saying. I would kind of view it that the distribution or the freight thesis would be more southbound than it would be a submarket to Salt Lake. More of a submarket to the the Vegas market. What what types? I guess uh, of what types of
0: Developments that you have had in your portfolio, this is for the two of you. What types of that you have in your portfolio have been the highest demand um, in the past, right? I know BDO has been very successful. You have several of them as very successful. What what made those successful? What would what you say are the keys to those very successful developments? And does that translate going forward the next five, 10, 15 years?
2: I was thinking you should start with one of the most successful Draper developments the world's ever seen. Um, I think that the key to some of those sustained long-term developments is not having an interest clock uh, clicking so that you can make the right decisions, being well-capitalized for those different projects, um, not having to take down a huge piece of land that's gonna click away and make you make quick decisions that you probably shouldn't uh, look back. And then you know, it takes everything, to your point, from the local community growing. Ogden did a great job of growing their community Um, which in turn grew the need for more businesses there.
1: So you mentioned Lone Peak. So I'll talk about Lone Peak. I think what's made that project so successful is um, Steve really had this vision of growing tenants. And so we can start a tenant at 4,400 square feet and we can grow them up to about 100 square feet in that park. And um, I think the other kind of unique thing, um, I'm sure most of you maybe went to Neopoli and we hosted Neopoli in one of our buildings, but it has a very like, it just a very classy, unique design that's very different for the market. Um, it was kind of an innovative design. It's been very fun. And I think it brought a different class of tenants that wanted, like the office that we built in there kind of rivals Class A downtown office. It's it's beautiful, but it's also the tenant demand that wanted that type of office. They want that type of presence. Um, what we kind of saw about Lone Peak was these were local entrepreneurs that were had these regional businesses that wanted to work near where they lived. And so I think they were willing to spend a little bit more money. The, the rents there are high. Those buildings are expensive. and um, But there there is a certain tenant mix that wants to pay for that level of quality. And so I think that that has been kind of a testament to the tenant market because they've, they're the ones that have made it successful. Um, and just kind of kudos to Steve for having the vision of being able to build that type of a product and kind of bridge that gap of, kind of tech, even though they're not tech tenants, but kind of that tech feel and look with industrial use.
0: Kind of switching gears here, how How do you see, uh, this is something that we talk about a lot um, on, now we're going like down the road, right? Uh, technological advancements and whether it's racking or how, how the space is designed, how is that playing in right now and how you just see that in the future playing into how we design and build buildings
4: um, I'll just speak to what I'm, I'm seeing with some deals I'm running, uh, currently, um, <clears throat> clear height continues to be, um, well, in, 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 the, in, one case I'm thinking about, um, anything under 36 foot clear, and this was a hundred thousand square foot, um, primarily distribution use, right? So, um, anything that was under 36 foot clear just didn't get considered, uh, and the 40 foot clear options, um, of which there were just a couple. Uh, really, <clears throat> for this particular uh, client, were 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 very much preferred. Um, I think the racking systems uh, and just the ability uh, um, uh, of tenants to, to to capitalize on vertical space has improved um, and continues to do so. And they they all know they're paying paying uh, a lease rate on square footage, and so if they can take advantage of the cube footage, it's. Uh, I mean, it was a delta, if I'm remembering. Uh, Comparing a 36 to a 40, it was a delta of, if we wanted to translate it to uh, rate per square foot, about a 15 cent uh, per square foot difference. Meaning the tenant did the math and said, look, <clears throat> for, this, for the 36 foot clear uh, space to compete uh, in, the, in the sense of um, um, efficiency for me as a tenant, for that 36 foot clear uh, space to compete with the 40, they would have to drop their rate by 15 cents per square foot which of course they couldn't do. So, um, you know, and I, uh, I'm not a, a contractor, uh, you know, uh, but the but the, uh, my understanding is- I know a really good one. <laughs> well, you guys can talk to it, right? I mean, the technology is with with <coughs> even the concrete and the tilt walls and and it just, it's getting better and, and you can go higher without having to get So wide as quite as wide? Um, a couple other thoughts, comments. Um, trailer parking is paramount um, if you're in the distribution uh, world. Uh, you used to be able to get away without it, and if you don't have it now, you're 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 gonna get cut from a lot of the first uh, first rounds. Um, I know a lot of developers are uh, they're not installing electrical vehicle charging, but they are uh, pre-designing for it um, because everybody sort of anticipates that will come certainly within the lifetime of a new cons- a new building. Um, so I guess those those highlights are kind of things that that, that come to mind Im- immediately.
0: And in, inside the space, are you seeing anything with, you know, say technology changes and how these tenants are moving materials or how they're storing materials. Obviously the clear height is is part of that. But um what 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 do you see changing in that space, or if anything?
3: I I think, you know, it's it's every life cycle of like trucks or material handling equipment get a little bit less expensive the taller they go. So you're you're definitely seeing smaller companies utilizing the cube because they're not paying any sort of real estate related operating expense for a taller building um so i agree 100 percent with everything andy's saying on clear height as far as like automation and technology i think we're just on the cusp that we'll start seeing some of the smaller users versus your amazon's your large distribution type nodes and users using automation probably in the next cycle i personally on the smaller use haven't seen anyone going to automation, simply just more so using or utilizing that cube square footage than using any sort of like technology or automated type systems yet. Um, I've seen a lot of tenants experimenting with it, getting pricing on it. I think that that's probably the next turn in the cycle, you'll see as we start to rebound through this a little bit, you'll see uh, users of space start trying to maximize their technology.
0: Ryan, are you seeing anything in as far as designing the buildings that maybe you wouldn't have done before that you're doing now?
2: No, it's a good question. I, I'm thinking of two examples in West Jordan. So we have one one million square foot building being built and, and one of the tenants, their very first question was, can you have solar? And the answer was yes, we built the roof so that we can handle solar. The second question was about how many trailer stalls and, and back to how many doors. It's like, I think that the technology discussion is, is kind of that thin right now. Um, we're building a fortune 50, 200,000 square foot box and they're on our design calls every week. And I keep waiting for something like that, but no, it's just, Hey, can you get me a few more doors? Can you get me a few more box truck parking stalls? So I'm grateful to be in an industry where uh, the math is kind of still narrow and simple. Anything you're seeing Angela?
1: Um, I mean, just to add, we we've been doing trailer storage for quite some time. That's continues to be a demand Um, one thing we've also done conduit for charging stations and things like that, going all the way to the back of a truck court, um, so that we're ready for what that wave looks like. I think that the things that we're discussing are the things we're also trying to figure out kind of in line with the theme of, of what the symposium is with innovation and disruption. I think those are the things that are going to change the, how a building is designed moving forward. But I think the last thing that we've done, Draper, um, the new buildings that we just talked about at Lone Peak, we have, um, a window system that's above all of our dock doors that could really turn into drone ports, depending on how that technology continues to move forward. I'm um, trying to be forward thinking there. So I think it's just continuing to stay ahead of the curve and, and listening to the tenants, what they're doing, what those trend cycles look like so that we can continue to be nimble and design a building that will work for them. If they're the end user, like we live and die by them. So.
0: Okay. I have a question that would kind of go back to where we started, but. Um, I think this is an important question. Uh, What kind of perm debt is the most competitive right now? Uh, Bank, you know, you guys know all the perm debts. Banks, life insurance companies, and our clients buying caps for floating rates? Do you see that happening?
3: Right now, I think everybody's pricing debt right now kind of waiting to see is what we're seeing as far as cap rate movement and transaction volume has almost, especially regarding capital markets, has almost stopped um, because of the interest rate kind of debacle uh, Friday with the Silicon Valley Bank situation has kind of left people kind of scratching their head. I think that people think by the time you go under contract, the Fed is going to raise the interest rate not once, but maybe twice, um, as it seems they're you know, kind of firm on putting the nail in the coffin and, and raising unemployment. So I think, I think all of your debt markets are similar, um, but there's a big variable out there that I think people can't solve to because of the variable
2: i think there's two things to consider with
3: that question is is what have people been doing the last few years there
2: were a lot of people coming into our offices telling us that we were crazy to fix our debt right like that's old-fashioned you don't fix your debt you don't pay amortization something that the boyer company has always done um and now we're really glad that that's something that we've always done so it's going to be interesting to see those people who have been taking floating rate debt the last few years um their rates started at two and a half, three 3%. Now they're 6%. Um, so are they gonna be able to weather the cycle? Um, and then as far as what lenders will lend right now, we're still seeing good loans for good projects and, and just pretty standard life companies are still out there lending.
0: Okay, well, I think w- there's a standard question I have to ask at the end, like your closing thoughts, right? Like, let's, let's hear from, from each of you, Angelo. W- w- what's your closing thoughts of our health of this particular vertical for the next five years? And, and what what's on your mind with like, what do you think about every day with that question?
1: For me, I know that um, as I've gone to like the different national NAEP conferences, I, I think industrial is just at the tip of its brightest days. I think it's going to continue. Um, it has definitely become the darling of the industry where people that haven't really been in this space are playing in this space now. Um, but as we've talked, you know, as we prepared for this panel, I think one of the things it's done is it's kind of made everybody sharpen their pencil a little bit and do what they do better and continue to be innovative. So I I'm I'm still very bullish there. And I just kind of looking around the country and, and what they had said earlier about going somewhere and hearing Utah on the map. I have not been to a conference in the last two years where somebody on one of the main panels has not talked about Utah. So I think that the fundamentals that we've talked about continue to stay there. And I, I see it to continue on the horizon.
2: Anytime anybody asks me, you know, how's your job? How's how's work? How's real estate? I, I tell them, well, I'll tell you in three to five years. I have no idea. Um, and the fun structural shifts that we're going through right now, we have no idea. Um, and so. We're going to just go ahead and keep building through cycles. we're going to do it cautiously. we're going to look for good tenants to build for. We're probably going to do less spec to suit until leases are signed um, and just keep trudging along.
3: I think overall the the market in Utah has a bright horizon. Um, if you look at uh, historically in these type of markets, Utah has done some of its larger transactions in kind of times that we're seeing other markets pull back. And I think the horizon in Utah is very bright and in the sense that we'll continually grow. And I think industrial is a category uh, to kind of emphasize Angela's words, it's kind of become the darling of the industry, which it's never really been. And people are starting to play in this vertical. And I think that pairs back to how people spend money now, the cons- online consumption and where people are getting goods from only leads to more industrial product and more growth in the market. Um, as consumer ex- consumer spending increases in the in the near future,
4: yeah, I I agree with with everything they're saying. I, you know, just in in preparation for this, we kind of tossed some questions back and forth. Uh, and I I guess my thought is, um, you know, real estate cycles, right? And and we're all uh, sort of on the, the the benefiting end, if that's the proper term of. Yeah, you know, three four years of, of, of really uh, great times. You know, particularly with with, with industrial, you know, things are, have changed a little bit over the last six months, particularly with capital markets. Um, but as they are all saying, you know, the 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 Wasatch front um, has proven itself to be resi- resilient over a number of cycles. Uh, the, the keynote speakers talked a lot about the, the reasons why. I just keep going back to. Right, I think right now is the time for. Um, whether you're a occupier of space whether you're a a broker whether you're a developer just make sure you're 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 checking in and sticking to some of your fundamentals you know Ryan mentioned you know Boyer's done it regarding debt they've done they've always done it the same way and they're remarkably successful um you know there's a if you guys don't know him get to know him there's a guy named Doug Burrell he's a capital markets broker in in CBR's office and the guy's just brilliant and I use him Daily, right? Because what I've learned is I, 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 it's important for me to be honest about what I don't know. I don't play in capital markets daily. Doug does, so I go bug him. Doug, what, 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 who's, who's, who's putting loans out there? What deals are you working on? And <clears throat> I, I think that's key, right? Develop a team. You talked about a team uh, being the key to the success, and trust your team, right? You know, whether it's a broker, whether it's a capital markets guy, whether it's your subcontractors telling you, "Hey, it, this is what it costs to build this wall." You know, if and I think that the quickest way to fail is to not trust that team, second guess, and then you're just spinning your wheels. The next thing you know, you're, you find yourself in real trouble. So, and it's all avoidable by just kind of going back to the fundamentals. Don't get over uh, over uh, over leveraged. You know, uh, I guess I'm rambling now, but the fundamentals. I think as long as we stick to that, um, every, we'll all just. We'll, You know, come through the cycle and just keep on jamming. It'll be great.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all. That was some great, some great knowledge. And uh, I think it was a great panel. Thank all of you with the submitted questions. That really made my job a lot easier. So I appreciate it. Um, I think now we're going back to the the main space. Is that correct? Um, And uh, continue the conference. Thank you so much. Thank you all.